What you're about to hear is a true tale of the future. Let's move on to uh, the, unless you have anything to add about this, but otherwise let's move on to the Leonard Nimoy show. Yeah, this one's called That's My Baby. Uh, And it's kind of, takes place in a dystopian future where there's so many people, there's no space. Every piece of space has to be like accounted for. And so uh, this couple gets married. You only get married once a month or I mean, sorry, once a year. Mm-hmm. And so it's a massive have, wedding. And yeah. we're not giving much away because that like in the first few seconds of the show, they talk about how there's like I can't remember what it is, four, four five, six thousand people marrying another four, five, six thousand people. Uh, I thought what was kind of interesting is it makes it very clear that these, let's say, six thousand men are marrying, marrying these six thousand women. And I thought in a futuristic thing, if you was, it was rewritten today, I think it would say, you know, I don't think it would say men and women. I think it would say partners or whatever, because chances are some of them will be heterosexual, some of them homosexual and so forth. But uh, even back, uh, this is just from 1980. And even back in 1980, it was like, that isn't even like part of the concept at all. And so anyway, yep. keep going, Bob. Yep. Nope. Nope. Not, um, and so to have a child, you have to get a card because they're going to account for each amount of air and everything the the new person is going to use so if you get a blue card you get a boy pink card you get a girl which is kind of stereotypical too but then there's a third option <laughs> there's there's the third option which is the yellow card <laughs> the yellow card they they like bring some frozen person who's been i guess dead back to life mm-hmm. and because they need them for some reason in society and then you that's you don't get a, a child. You don't get a kid at that point. Yeah. Yeah. You get some uh, adult apparently that you don't, well, you, you might know, but you might know. know. Yeah. And, and so that's, uh, yeah, that's basically what this episode is about. I can't remember. Could you, could you, and you couldn't choose like, I want a yellow card so I can bring back my dad or my uncle or something. That wasn't a choice. They told you what was going to happen, correct? Yeah, because you know, in the episode, the lady wants a, a child. Yeah. She she gets a yellow card. She gets yellow carded. She's yellow card. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Where she should have just pulled out a pink marker and just marked over the card. <laughs> pink, dang it! Yeah. Oh dear. What did you you think about the episode itself? I think, like we just we discussed before, of the three, I think it was in terms of like plot and writing, it was. I don't think it was up to par with Dimension X and X minus one. Yeah, Uh, and and this is what we kind of wanted to talk about a little bit. I like bringing this to us, especially uh, on a sci-fi centered podcast like we have and um, have Leonard Nimoy because, of course, his time in Star Trek, that he played Spock in, all, you know, for, in Star Trek for decades. Uh, but then 
and it's just neat to hear his voice and i just love to hear his voice again now that he's gone um it's neat that these shows exist yep. but the writing on the shows was not as a, as bob says up to par of the science fiction shows of the 1950s i think a decent chance of this is because the show itself was run monday through friday and on Mondays, it would be a Western that they'd write. And on Tuesday, it would be like a mystery show. And on Wednesday, it'd be like a, a romance episode. Uh, so that every day was different. And Fridays were the London Nimoy days where he introduced the show. And it was science fiction and or adventure. And uh, they had some of the same writers writing all of them. And it's hard to be good in all those different fields and, and uh, I just think their science fiction stories weren't quite up to what you would expect in the 1950s stories but I would say this it's interesting to hear science fiction from the point of view of the 80s they use some at the time hip current lingo in their shows which really dates it more than the X minus ones because they in those they don't go around saying oh that's swell and oh and <laughs> that's groovy or anything like that um, they they don't do that but in the 80s shows I think to differentiate themselves from the old time radio they like to bring in the new things and uh, there'll be episodes that talk about drug usage and things that you would never get back in um, the days of dimension X and X minus one, but they're pretty um, rudimentary discussions of that pretty lightweight. And so, uh, yeah, they, they just don't, they're just not that great of shows, but hearing, like I say, Leonard Nimoy on them is great. And it's interesting as a comparison to go, Oh, okay. So this is, uh, they're trying to be what X minus one and uh, uh, dimension X were, but they're just not, of that same caliber. So. Yep. Good. Makes sense. Makes sense. Makes sense. So let's get into the episode. I hope you enjoy this one, uh, and uh, we'll bring we'll be bringing you some more Leonard Nimoy. And uh, of course, email me and tell me if you want me to keep bringing uh, Leonard Nimoy. As we're creating a science fiction podcast too, that would open the door for other science fiction shows. Of I'll bumble around and see what I can find. But really, of all the science fiction done in old-time radio, Dimension X and X-1 are the flagship shows, and that's the, the crux of what we're going to be sharing. The other thing that we'll be doing, um, I will be talking about, and maybe Bob will be if he uh, gets into to watching these episodes and things, but we'll be talking. One of the reasons we call it, it's called Strange New Worlds of Dimension X is because the other show that I would like to talk about is Strange New Worlds, which is the new Star Trek show that's going to be with Captain Pike and uh, and so forth. And I think uh, it might be fun to go through and talk about the second season of Discovery, uh, Star Trek Discovery, in that it introduces to modern audiences the Pike character and uh, Number One and Spock and uh, just kind of a neat tie-in. So I thought the name of the podcast could double up and, and serve for a new science fiction show that's coming out that's not even out yet and listening to some old science fiction shows from old time radio. So without further ado, enjoy this episode. And Bob, I will say we're out. And uh, why don't you say goodbye from uh, your Mount Everest home there? 
Goodbye from Everest. Enjoy the episode and stay and warm. Enjoy the rest of your morning and or evening. So, whatever, whatever you're listening. And if you want to see this episode, tune into YouTube for my YouTube channel. I'll have a link on my podcast so you can get there. Uh, I think my YouTube, if you want to look for it, if you type in Buck Benny, I think that's the name of my YouTube channel and stuff. So maybe you can find it. Uh, there's going to be some new videos there. Uh, this video, we'll, be, we'll do our weekly video, but then I also have some interviews that I've done with different folks over the past uh, number of days. And so there's going to be a decent amount of content there to watch. And if you want to see me, you can see me. What, what a thrill. <laughs> Thank you. And, and you see Bob. It's a thrill to see Bob, I tell you. The man is so handsome. You just, well, you'll watch it. <laughs> Wait a minute. Is that George Clooney? We're, we're yeah. <laughs> uh, mainly he didn't warn me we were going to film today, so. so, yeah. so yeah. <laughs> I didn't get my Han Solo costume. Yes. He doesn't, my, he doesn't my climbing have a wig on with full hair. <laughs> in my climbing gear and my, I mean, yeah, yeah. my mask. Next time I want to see climbing uh, gear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. This is Leonard Nimoy. The day is June 15th, the year 3115. You're about to attend a wedding. Those 62,515 men are about to marry those 62,515 women at the 2 o'clock ceremony. At 2.30, a like number of men and women will be wed. This is not an unusual happening. It's common practice to marry people during the month of June. June, you see, is the only month when you're allowed to marry in the year 3115. What happens is you and your chosen mate make application to the Central Marriage Permission Board. And once they get an okay from the computers who ration out living space, well then, you and your chosen one show up at the marriage coliseum at the time assigned your wedding. You're each given a short shift or tunic and a garland of artificial flowers to wear or carry and you take your places in the Colosseum for this glorious event. May I have your attention? May I have your attention? We are gathered at this time to join these men and these women in holy matrimonies. It's a touching ceremony, as those things always are, were, and will be. If you'll focus your attention on that corner, near where an end zone might have been at a different time, you'll see the young man and the young woman who specifically are the principles of our story. What you're about to hear is a true tale of the future. Mutual Radio Theater, a new adventure in radio listening. Five nights of exceptional entertainment every week. Brought to you in Elliot Lewis's production of the Mutual Radio Theater. Our story? Yes, sir, that's my baby by Elliot Lewis. Our stars? Herb Vigran, Noel North, and Robert Towers. Permission to marry was something every young person hoped for in those far distant times, and Edward 23, Glendon 55, and Helga 7, Anderson 5 were not exceptions. 
Young, in love, they desperately waited. Their application was finally acknowledged. Attention, your attention, please. Helga 7 and Edward 23 gave their attention. The proper authorities acting under the permission to marry at section 7, subsection 15, paragraph 11, line 8. Do now then grant to Helga 7, Anderson 5, and Edward 23, Glendon 55, permission to marry. Helga 7 squealed with delight, and proud Edward 23 beamed, and so... They were married at the two o'clock ceremony with 62,514 other couples. And here's what happened. To whom it may concern, this document is included in the package to explain the contents, or at least to clarify what's here, so that whoever has to open it and deal with it will be kind and just. My name is Edward 23, Glendon 55, and this is recorded in the year 3115. I am married to Helga 7, Anderson 5. On our wedding day, we went directly from the ceremony to the living tower to which we'd been assigned. We were delighted to find we were to live in rooms 11, for that suite contained two bedrooms. And since resources are strictly limited with space and atmosphere assigned, that could mean only one thing. We've been assigned a family living unit. <laughs> that means they'll let us have a baby. Now, we mustn't jump to conclusions. We haven't received our card yet. Oh, it's probably waiting for us in our rooms. And I don't much care whether it's a blue card or a pink card. Do you? No. Just think, a little baby all our own, a little teeny baby. That's all we cared about, you see, raising our own little family. And so we waited in our three-room living quarters for our card. We sat in our womb chairs and stared at the message wall and waited for the word. Each day, the great sunlights would blaze on in the morning and simulate old Sol, and then in the evening, the pale moonlights would come on and we'd know it was night. Then, one day... Attention, Mr. and Mrs. Edward 23, Glendon 59, will report this afternoon between 2.30 and 2.35 to the family card issuance unit. We quickly dressed and reported at precisely 2.30, taking our place at the end of one of the many lines. Ahead of us was the machine which distributed the cards. You simply told it your name and what you wanted, and it passed you a blue or a pink card. If you really don't care whether it's pink or blue, then let's ask for pink, all right? Before I could reply, the machine passed us our card. It was yellow. Oh, no! No, 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 no. There, there. Oh, no! no, no. I led Helga from the room. The other young people who had seen what had happened murmured their sympathy. So that you will fully understand the extent of our despair. A blue card entitles you to a baby boy, a pink card a baby girl. A yellow card meant that in place of a cuddly baby, you were to take into your family unit an older person who had just been unfrozen. We were about to become the parents of an old thaw-e. Well, there's a well-known rule of thumb that if you've got a problem, you go to the source. For example, if your face itches, you scratch it, or more to the point, if you want a little baby and you're ordered to accept a thawed-out person, find out who gave that order and go to him, which my wife and I did. His name was Mr. Lawrence, 33. Good day. Your card, please. Why can't I have a little baby? Please. Your family unit will include Mr. Ralph Began. Mr. Began was frozen on March 12, 1975, when his heart stopped beating. He was 75 years old at the time. 
He is to be thawed out this afternoon and will be delivered to you tomorrow morning. Our earliest delivery should bring him to Building 90, Rooms 11 at 7.30, just after the sunlights have been turned on. How can I cuddle a 75-year-old man? Neither of you knows how important it is for a girl to hold her little baby and feed it and help it grow. And you can't do that with a 75-year-old man who is probably still a little bit cold from having been frozen so long. Ah, Mr. Began will be at nearly body temperature within a few days. It's just not true that these old folks remain icy cold for long periods of time. (laughs) But I just want a little baby. That's certainly not a great deal to ask. If there's room in our quarters and we have food supply to nourish three people, and we've been told another little human being won't disturb the person-to-atmosphere ratio, then why can't I have a little baby? Madam, the acceptance of an elderly thawee does not preclude your having an infant child of your own at some later date. I want a baby while I'm young. I don't want a 75-year-old man when I'm young and a little infant when I'm old. That's all wrong. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Your government has need for Mr. Began's expertise. The matter is closed. And that was that. No appeal, no changing the orders. So what we had to do was make the best of it. It wasn't easy. We left the card issuance unit and went directly to our living quarters, trying to see the bright side of things. It's absolutely dreadful. Oh, just, just remember what he said. Including an old thaw in our family unit doesn't preclude your having a child of your own at some future date. Oh, well... It's lucky I didn't let you throw away our pills. Did you know? Is that why? No, no, no. I, I just thought better safe than sorry. There's no reason to get into trouble with the authorities at this point in our lives. C- can you imagine what would have happened if you'd thrown away our pills and you'd gotten pregnant? Wow, trouble. I suppose. first time since our marriage, we slept without touching. Each of us huddled on the side of the wedding bed, half awake, wondering what our life would become in the morning when Mr. Began arrived. We rose with the sunlights, and at 7.30, we were seated in our womb chairs in the first room when... Anybody home? This the right place? Hey! Who is that? Good morning. Uh, you're the young fella, right? I'm Edward 23, Glendon 55. <laughs> Glad to meet you, Ralph Began. Oh, won't you come in? Right. They told me to tell you there's more chairs and a bed coming. Oh, you're the lady of the house, right? Welcome. Well, put her there. Oh. Yeah, still a little cold. Yeah, I feel it myself. Like I got a chill. Ooh, you know. <laughs> they, they said it would take a couple of days. I, I see. Well, who would have believed it, huh? Here I am. And then this pump that they gave me, this is a real blessing in disguise. They told me that it never wears out. Lifetime guarantee. Can you imagine? (laughs) No more heartburn. Pump burn, maybe. (laughs) Just think. I am going to be with you from now on out. One of life's most cherished moments is the birth of a child. New life begins, a new person is born in the image of his parents. But this was not to be in the case of Edward 23, Glendon 55, and his pretty wife Helga 7, Anderson 5. They received neither a blue card nor a pink card, but instead the dreaded yellow card. And now, newly arrived and still not completely thawed, The occupant of their extra room sits, rubbing his old hands together for warmth. Oh, it's cold. 
Hey, any idea how long this lasts? I don't know. They didn't tell us. Attention. Your attention. Huh? Rooms 11. Open your number four. Shoot for eight. Delivery. Huh? What's that? Uh, it's the monitor. It delivers messages. Your bed and womb chair and a second chair for in here. Imagine that. Fantastic. We didn't have any furniture for you because we were expecting a permission to bear a child card, and, well, we wouldn't have needed anything for nine months. Actually, of course. We thought we were going to be allowed to have a little baby. Newlyweds, correct? Yes. Of course, and you're going to have a baby. Oh, that's great. That's marvelous. Except we can't. No, not for a while. Later, perhaps. Oh, well, don't worry about it. Listen, even in my day, and once in a while, it'd be problems. But they worked it out. You see your doctor, he does tests, etc., prescribes, and so forth. And then before you know it, you're pregnant. Just, just, just don't worry about it. If you don't mind my giving advice of a personal nature. <laughs> We can't because they gave us a yellow card instead. Not a pink or a blue card. A yellow card. You! I'm a yellow card? You you, you mean a, a yellow card is like me? Unfrozen? Instead of a baby? That is sort of it, yes. Well, how come? I mean, what kind of a world is this where you, where you get me instead of a baby? Listen, maybe I better get another room. I, I wouldn't want to be in your way. Even when I was alive before, I didn't stay with my kids. Emily and me, we, we had a place of our own with our own TV, our own radio, the works. On Sundays, maybe, we'd go see the grandchildren. I want you to understand I'm not the sort of a man who intrudes himself. Hmm, we'll just take back this fracocta furniture. I assume the store will take it back in return for the stuff you'll need for the nursery. And I'll look for another place. Uh, has the morning paper come yet? I'll look under the rentals, and I'll pick out something where I'll be comfortable, and I won't get in your hair. That's your room in there. No, 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 no you, you don't understand. I'm, I'm going to move. Where's the morning paper? How can you move? How can I move? What kind of a dumb question is that? I'm, I, by moving, I move. How, how does anyone move? <sighs> you have to get a card which gives you permission to move, tells you where you must go. Applications for the card are available to the Living Assignments Building, but, of course, there's no valid reason for moving. They won't let you move. No one moves unless they need more space. You don't need more space, so since you've already been assigned a room, permission to move wouldn't be granted. I advise you not even to make an application. You'd end up in an undersea camp, and you'd turn orange, and no one would speak to you. I want to tell you something. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. It's too hard to explain. But as best I could, I told him what the world was like in the year 3115. I described the sunlights and the moonlights. I told him how we get from here to there and what we ate and what we did each day and so on. It was really a very surface sort of briefing, and I cut it short because I noticed his eyes were beginning to glaze. As you've seen, Ralph Began is very, very thin and getting withered, and when his look grew blank, I stopped. And that began a period of waiting. Each morning, Ralph Began would wait for a morning newspaper that never came, because such a thing didn't exist. Then, out of some old habit, he'd leave the living quarters, saying, See you this evening. When the sunlights had crossed from east to west, he'd return, astonished at the world he'd seen outside. No traffic! He'd yell. There's no cars and no streets, so there's no traffic. 
One evening, he said, How many people live around here? It's like ants down there. There must be a billion people standing around. <laughs> He'd ventured into the square during friendship hour when everyone who can meets to reassure themselves they're not alone. Then another day... Hey, listen. While we're waiting for that call, why don't we take a little trip? Travel, you know. You could show me what everything looks like. Travel is prohibited. What? Travel is prohibited? Why? If everyone traveled, those going from here to there would run into those going from there to here. There's no room for them to pass one another, so travel is prohibited. He shook his head in disbelief. Then after moping around for a few days, one morning before the sunlights moved, he said, Okay, I've been thinking, and here's what. No calls today, right? Just like every other day, huh? No calls. None. There never are. I was unfrozen because they needed me, correct? Yes. Okay, then. How come there are no calls? They'll call you when you're wanted. Who will? They will. Who's they? The people who want you. Now, who are the people that want me? Those who decided to thaw you out. I understand that. Who wanted me thawed out? The people who needed you. Who are they is what I'm trying to find out. How would I know? We would never had this happen to us before. All right. Let's try it this way. Where did you get the yellow card? At the card issuing machine. At the card issuing machine, right. Were there people there? Of course there were people there. There are people everywhere. That's the problem. The planet's jammed with people. That's why you were assigned to us, because there's no room anywhere for one more person. There's no room on the land, or on what's left of the sea, or under the land, or under what's left of the sea, or above the land and the sea. There's nothing but people. Billions of trillions of people all over the place. Hey, that's very good how you got sore. You're a somebody. Yeah. Now, here is what I'm trying to find out. When you got the yellow card, was there someone in authority there? The yellow card had instructions on it. It told us to go to the family unit card issuance station's yellow card section. And you went there and what? What was there? Another machine? A man. A man. A real person. Contact. There's a real honest-to-goodness man around. What's his name? Mr. Lawrence, 33. Well, now, there, you see? What? What you just told me about that man, Mr. Lawrence, 33, that might very well solve everything for all of us. Early the following morning, Mr. Began plastered his thin hair to his bony skull and made his way to the family unit card issuance station. He worked his way through the throngs who filled the area until he reached the yellow card station. There he entered a room which seemed to be occupied only by a computer. After waiting a minute or so, a section of wall opened and admitted Mr. Lawrence 33. He sat opposite Mr. Began. Mr. Lawrence 33? Yes? I suppose you're wondering who I am. I know who you are. But you don't know why I'm here, I'll bet. I want to make a deal. We were about to contact you. There's been a serious mistake for which your government is sorry. Oh, what mistake? Unfreezing you. You don't need me? No. But I'm thawed. Yes, terribly sorry. But your government is benign, your life is not in danger, and you've been supplied with living quarters, food allotment, and share of atmosphere. Is that correct? Yeah, but... Uh... Those are yours. Don't be alarmed. We won't take them from you. Consider yourself part of our life. And good luck. Uh, yeah, 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 right, yeah. When Mr. Beacon came home that day, he was very depressed. Not at all his usual self. He told us how no deal could be made because they didn't need him, how his hopes had been dashed. He apologized over and over again, as though the fact that Helga Seven and I couldn't have a baby was his fault. 
For the next few weeks, he kept to himself, huddled in the womb chair in the third room, his room, staring at the sunlights as they swung from east to west, and then at the moonlights as they threw their pale shadows. After a good deal of thought, he joined us one evening in the first room. Listen, I got a brain, and I've been using it. You want to hear what I think? Hey, did you two kids hear me? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, let, let me tell you what I worked out. Now, I am going to remove myself from your life so you can have a little baby. Now, you want to know how I'm going to do that? A baby? Right, exactly, a little baby. And with me gone, you can do it. A little baby? How? I, I don't understand. All right, here is how. I am going to commit suicide. Uh, you're going to what? Commit commit suicide. Suicide? You, you, you don't know suicide? No. No. Well, I'll be damned. Suicide? I'm going to kill myself. Take my life. Zop. How on earth do you do that? Well, there are hundreds of ways. Jump from a building or a bridge or a tower, shoot yourself with a rifle or a pistol or a shotgun, hang yourself with a rope or a necktie or something like that, take poison, rat or gopher or any kind, insecticide, say, or stab yourself or cut your throat or your wrists or... Let me see, you burn yourself up or lay down in front of a train or a car or a bus or a truck or swallow your tongue like some of the Chinese people used to do even before my time. Or listen, I I could go on and on. The point is, you'd be rid of me, and I wouldn't mind at all. Honest, I've already lived 75 years, and that's plenty. Besides which, I got a chance to look around in the year 3115, which is very unusual. That's more than you can say for most guys my age, so... Don't you give it another thought. I will commit suicide. How? How? Weren't you listening to me? What'd you do, doze off or something? I just now gave you a dozen examples off the top of my head, and there must be a million more besides what I mentioned. I I was listening. It's just that I don't understand how it's possible to kill yourself. If it were, there'd be a suicide every once in a while, and there isn't. That's right. Well, like I said, I, I, I jump off a bridge or a tower or a building, I, you, you know. We don't have bridges or towers. I, I've seen old pictures of what they look like, but we don't have them. A tower is a waste of space, and there's nothing to build a bridge over. Nothing to build a bridge? You, you, you got rivers, culverts, hollow places? Well, everything is either filled in or covered over or the center of something. Mostly filled in. They use those old moon cutouts. All right, then, I'll jump off a building, and I'll tell you how to do it. You go into a building, you see, and you either enter an apartment and open a window and jump out, or you go up on the roof and take off your jacket and tie and leave your wallet and a note, and as soon as there's a crowd gathered down in the street, you jump. Simple as pie. Open a window? Open a window, of course, open a window. Didn't you ever hear of opening a window? Windows don't open. It would throw off the atmospheric pressure. It's very carefully balanced when you consider the trillions of people it supplies. Jump from the roof, then. Roof? Right, roof, the top of the building. There's no roof. How can there be no roof? What's on top of the building? Floor 879. Rooms like these. Look, Eddie, I am not stupid. I know that. What I'm asking is what's on top of the floor, what you said, 879? The plastic cover. Didn't I tell you? The planet's covered with plastic. Every building goes right up to it, so no space is wasted. The only way you can get outside the plastic is through a rocket takeoff or a landing chute. And then you'd be standing on the plastic, and there's nowhere to jump because the planet is encircled with plastic. There's no below, you see. It's all out or up. Hmm. And, and all, all them other things, I, like I said, like poison and stabbing and hanging and etc. Yeah, nothing would work. 
Before they thawed you, they'd prepared a backup system. Yeah, spare parts, you mean. Yes, keep them in storage. Yeah, lungs, liver, kidneys, stomach, tongue, bones, eyes, ears, nose, throat, everything. Everything. Let me ask you a question. How do you die around here? Well, you get an application for death, and you fill it out, and, and then you file it with the authorities. If it's approved, they put you to sleep in your reserved space carton. Aha! That's it, then. Why didn't you tell me I'll get an application for death? You're not old enough. Me? I'm not old enough. I'm 75 years old. What do you mean I'm not old enough? The minimum age is 163. You're really quite a young man. I am, huh? (laughs) I would have to say that I am a miserable old nerd. That's what I'd have to say. There was nothing any of us could do. The fact that Mr. Began was willing to take his own life so Helga Seven and I could have a baby drew us close together, and we became a family unit of sorts. We went out of our living quarters and showed Mr. Began the tree. That's it? That's the only tree? We used to have billions of them. More than you got people. One Sunday, we managed to get into the automobile run where a carefully preserved 1990 Chevrolet Tudor is driven once around a track. We had freeways for them things. There were so many of them, there was traffic jams. And then, of course, there was the oil trouble, and then... uh, Imagine that. Only one car left. For a while, Mr. Began seemed to be in a trance. Events had been too much for him. He looked numb and walked aimlessly around the rooms of our living quarters. And I must admit, he, he became more than an annoyance. He was a burden. I don't want him here anymore. He reminds me all day long that I haven't got a little baby and that I'm not going to ever have a little baby. Yes, you are. How? Can you tell me that? How am I ever going to have a baby? We're going to get rid of that old man, that's how. Get rid of him? Exactly. We're going to kill Ralph Began. Nimoy again with the fourth act of Yes, Sir, That's My Baby. There were times when I thought it was wrong even to be planning this terrible act. But then I recall cases I'd heard about where young couples in ecstatic determination had thrown discretion to the winds and stopped taking their his and her pills. In each case, the woman had become pregnant and they'd been called before the authorities. The punishment was severe. The husband or wife was ordered to give up their life to make room for the child. Well, I couldn't face death, nor could I face what life would be like without Helga Seven. So I persisted. Then at last, I uncovered the information I needed. That night, when Mr. Began had gone to his room and to sleep, I told Helga. I don't want to know. The heart pump. It's been known to malfunction. When that happens, the person dies. Oh, my goodness. All I have to do is loosen one little pin right in plain view on the surface, besides the air intake valve, and that's it. It'll malfunction, and no one will ever know the difference. They'll give him a new pump. If the malfunction occurs just after he falls asleep, we won't know he's dead until morning. And by then, too much time will have gone by. Too much damage will have been done to save him. It'll be too late. The alarm bell. Didn't he say there was an alarm bell? I'll disconnect it. They've had malfunctions with the alarm bells, too. Why do you suppose they give you a lifetime guarantee if both the pump and the alarm can break? The lifetime guarantee isn't for the person. It's for the piece of equipment. You're covered for the life of the equipment. When are you going to... No, don't tell me. I waited until she was asleep. 
and then slipped out of the bed and walked towards Mr. Beacon's room. I had a moment of panic when I realized he might be sleeping on his stomach where I couldn't reach the heart pump. But he lay on his back, his nightshirt open at the neck, so that the pump elements I needed were convenient to my hands. I located the tiny pin and the alarm bell connection, and in two quick motions slid the pin loose and broke the alarm wire. The heart pump stopped. I couldn't look at him. I ran into the bedroom and lay down on the bed beside Helga Seven, who was still asleep. No sound came from Mr. Began's room. When I opened my eyes again, it was morning. Helga Seven was already awake, sitting up in bed, watching the sunlights begin to glow. When she saw that I was awake, she leaned over and kissed me. It's all right. It's all right. I did it. Last night, after you'd fallen asleep. I knew you had, just looking at you. Well, I'll call the authorities through the message board. They'll come and get him and take him away. Well, it's usually an informal hearing, I was told, and since we already have had the food space atmosphere ration in our name, they'll give us a pink or blue card, whichever we prefer. And we can have our baby. Yes, our baby. Hey, you kids up yet? You decent? Oh, who? Uh, j- just a minute. <laughs> I'm not a ghost or anything, assuming you got things like that. Come on out. I uh, had to go out so the alarm bell connector could be fixed. Did you know they had an emergency station in Building 85? No, I, I didn't know that. I, I told him it busted on its own. I didn't, I didn't want to get you in trouble. Same reason I put the pin back last night, so you wouldn't get in any trouble. Put the pin back? Yeah, you got 30 seconds grace with these things. It's built in. The guy who installed mine told me. So, after Reddy left last night, I put the pin back. I heard you talking about what you were going to do, and uh, I just couldn't let you do it. You'd spend the rest of your lives, every time you looked at your kid, you'd be thinking he was there because you killed me. Kids should come out of love, like mine. I had three of them. I'm glad you survived. I I don't know whether I could have made it if you hadn't. You'll recall in our early conversations on this matter of how to get rid of me, I never once mentioned you should kill me. This whole thing is my fault because of that dumb decision I made to be frozen. So, I got myself into it. I got to get myself out of it. There has got to be a system. There always was, so there is now. And I got to figure out what it is and then how to beat it. It's just that simple. Now, tell me about life here. Fill me in. I wanted to know about the his and hers pills, the backup system that had been devised to prevent unwanted pregnancies until the couple had their permission to bear a child card. We explained what the scale in the first room was for, how men and women weighed themselves for the record each week, protection against food thievery or pregnancy, since such things were easily uncovered by the Friday weigh-in. Then, one terrible Friday, it came time for the weigh-in. I stepped off the scale to make room for Helga Seven. In a minute, she said. I was astonished. It's time for your weigh-in, I told her. In a minute. Don't rush her. Yes, don't rush me. Are you all right? Me? All right? Yes, certainly. Why? Because you've never before delayed your weigh-in. Well, that proves there's always a first time. Have you something to hide? Are you pregnant? What? Have you been taking your hers pill? Yes. Have you been taking your his pills? Of course. Then how could I be pregnant? Attention, your immediate attention. 
Mr. and Mrs. Edward 23, Glendon 55. The computer reports Mrs. Glendon 55 has not used the scale. Go ahead. I, I don't... Go, go, go on, weigh yourself. Whatever it's about, we should know right now. you do it, Edward? You're more important to me than a baby. You shouldn't have done it. What, me? I didn't do it. Mrs. Glennon, 33's weight shows two variants. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Edward, 23, Glennon, 55, will report to the family planning unit headquarters building for a hearing within the hour. <laughs> we were numb. We couldn't understand what had happened. Mr. Began, however, didn't seem disturbed. Don't worry. You, you kids worry too much. You're a fine one to talk. Nothing's going to happen to you. At the headquarters building, the three of us were directed by signs to the hearing room, where four men sat in great chairs behind an enormous table. They gestured that we were to sit opposite them, and we did. A blood sample was taken at the entrance tunnel. Yes, sir. I will come right to the point. You are with child. <sighs> It's not her fault. It's my fault. She knew nothing about it. I will accept your judgment. No, no, he didn't do anything. It was me. I did it. It's my fault. Oh, no. Sir? Yes, who are you? Ralph Began. Uh, no numbers. I'm the original. Oh, yes, the 4E. Yeah, exactly. It's neither of their faults. I accept full responsibility. Here is the key to the matter. His, his pills and her, her pills. Three months' supply. Where did you get those? I've been taking my pills. no. You've been taking what we used to call placebos, fakes. I made them out of my food supplement pills. I kept this as evidence. Your Honors, I accept full responsibility. I'm sure your actions were well intended, but that doesn't change the situation. Some member of the family unit must give up his or her food space atmosphere for the newcomer, which excludes you. You're a signed family and a different status entirely. Uh, let, let me tell you a story. Ralph and Emily Bagan married back at the beginning of the 20th century. They had three kids, who in turn had seven, which was the count when my heart quit and I got frozen. And these seven who had maybe 14 or so on. Now, who programmed the machine that gives out the blue or pink cards? The machines program themselves. Are you saying that new information is passed from computer to computer? Exactly. So at a birth, the machine keeps track of that person through marriage and so on to the next child and so forth? Exactly. Who do you suppose originally programmed the computers? Why, the man, of course. Ah, now you're cooking. What man and when? I'd only be humoring you. Humor me. The computer was originally programmed in 2046. 2046. Has anybody since then asked the computer how come they assign yellow cards to certain families? No. That is to say, I'm not certain. Ask it. Humor me again. This is the last time, Mr. Began. We're at the end of our patience. that information is lost to us. The computer response was secret information. Secret, huh? Okay. 
Let me give you a for instance, which will explain why the computer's original programmer didn't make yellow card assignments helter-skelter. Suppose the machines were programmed so that a thaw E was turned over to his family, let's say. Now, if that was the case, when the machines took over and began programming themselves, they'd continue doing the same thing, huh? Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I don't know if you are or not. Did I tell you that I was frozen before my daughter was married? What's that got to do with our problem? All right, just listen to this. Now, this little piece of paper here, this, this was written by my daughter. I got it from the people where I was thawed. They found it in a little slot on the side of my freezer. And my daughter says, Dear Papa, when you're thawed out, you'll be pleased to know I'm married to a wonderful man, Nathan Glendon, and I have two boys, Robert and Edward. I thought you'd like to know when you're thawed, you've got family somewhere, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, now don't bother counting on your fingers. I'll save you the trouble. The elapsed time in generations from my grandson, Edward Glendon, to now is 55. What's your number again, Eddie? Glendon, 55. You betcha. So you see, Your Honors... I'm not assigned family, which can't take the place of these kids. I'm family, a member of the unit. So when I say I'll give the new little baby my food and space and atmosphere ration, why, that's it. According to your own rules, I'm allowed to do that. There is a further problem. You have heard, I presume, of the application for death certificate? It is operable as a system because disposal provisions for an individual have been made at his birth. We have no place to dispose of four E's, none at all. Even ashes occupy space. Uh-huh. I thought of that. You ever hear of passing the buck? Passing the buck? When you got this kind of decision to make, you let somebody else worry about it. Pass the buck. This is the highest court on these matters. There's nowhere else to go. Where's the box I was frozen in? Still in the vault? Wait, yes. And it's empty, right? Pass the buck. Refreeze me. Let somebody else worry about it in a couple of million years or whatever. Just let me wait around until the baby is born. I got the food space atmosphere card for it. Agreed? And that's what happened. He stayed with us until the baby was born. A little boy we named Ralph, too. <laughs> Imagine. Imagine I got to see my 56 times great-grandson born. <laughs> The authorities let him stay in the rooms for the first few weeks so he could play with the baby and hold him. Then, one day, he decided to leave. The medical staff at the refreezing station explained to him that he'd be frozen, and that would be it, until someone else, someday, somewhere, needed his services for some reason and thought him out. We know that when that happens, he'll be with family, which is why I'm enclosing this note, to explain to you who your great-great-how-many-ever-times grandfather is and what a really special man he is. Please, take good care of him. The Mutual Radio Theater is brought to you five nights a week at this time. Tonight's original radio play, Yes, Sir, That's My Baby, was written, produced, and directed by Elliot Lewis. Your host was Leonard Nimoy. Our stars were Herb Vigran, Noel North, and Robert Towers. Featured in the cast were Michael Rye and Marvin Miller. The Mutual Radio Theater theme was composed by Nelson Riddle. John Harlan speaking. Associate Director of Mutual Radio Theater is Ken McManus. Sound effects were created by Bud Tollefson. Mark Trella is Production Supervisor. 
Recording engineer, Hal McDonald. Music editor, Lee Ringette. The Elliott Lewis production of Mutual Radio Theater is a presentation of CVI. Mutual Radio Theater has been brought to you by Sears, a name that means quality and value. A name that you can count on for service and dependability. Sears, where America shops for value. This is Lorne Green. Listen in on Monday for another story about the West, as it was then, as it is now.